0: Okay, after that announcement, let's jump into the message. Would you turn with me, please, to Matthew twenty-five, Matthew twenty-five, page seven hundred two in the Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. Uh, You can also Google Matthew twenty-five, and it'll bring you to the the passage we're going to look at in just a moment. You can use your phone or whatever mobile device you have. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a very true story that happened not so long ago. Uh, I was doing a wedding. And the wedding was in this old church building, very cool, kind of little house on the prairie church building where when you walk in the door, you walk right in the church, big glass windows on each side, wooden pews. And it was a very cool facility. And we were about to start the ceremony of standing in the back of the, of the building with the wedding planner and she's looking around, she's really excited Because she's looking and all the bridesmaids, their dresses are right, their hair is done, they're in line in the order they're supposed to be. All the groomsmen, all their ties are straight and they're in line, they're ready to go. The music, the prelude music has started, it sounds beautiful. The preacher remembered to show up, that's always good. Families are seated and the the, the wedding planner goes, everything's in place. And I looked at her and I said, where's the bride? And her face fell. She said, she's in another building. I should probably go get her. Good idea. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that at the end of the message. Now, today we're beginning a new series entitled The Generous Life. And in this series, the challenge is going to be how do we live beyond ourselves? How do we live in a way that's generous and that allows our legacy, our testimony, and even our resources to outlive us. If we were to start by looking at the definition of being generous, the definition according to dictionary.com is showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. Showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary Or expected. We think of the word generous and we usually think of a positive connotation. Synonyms for generous are words like lavish and liberal and hospitable, excellent, benevolent. The antonyms or the opposite words of generous are words like stingy, depleted, lacking, thoughtless, inconsistent, uncharitable. We all have Things we love to receive generously. We love to get generously. Can you tell me some things? What are the things you love to get from people or receive generously? What are some things you like to receive that way? Hugs? Hugs? That's come up in every service. I love that we're a hugging church. That's a good thing. What else? Love. love? Compliments. Words of affirmation. We, we, really, we love receiving that generously. What else? Time, when someone actually pours themselves into us. What else? Dessert. Dessert. That's on my list too. Ice cream in abundance on everything I eat. Eggs, doesn't matter. Throw ice cream on it. What else? No one has said it, but anyone mind when someone generously gives you money? Okay, I didn't think so. We like the idea of people giving to us generously. But here's the question. If we're receiving and we like receiving generously and the Bible says you will reap what you sow, you will get what you give, how do we become generous people? We're going to look at this in four key areas of life over the next four weeks. And those four key areas are our time, our talents, which is our skills, our treasure, which is our finances, And then our teaching, what have we been through that we could mentor someone along in, even if it's uh, inconvenient at the time? Why is this topic so important? I think Winston Churchill summarized it best. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. There's something that's a blessing, not only to those you bless and, and you give generously to, but there's something that's a blessing to us when we live A Generous Life. This week is going to be an overview of the topic with an insight that there's a return on our generosity. That brings us to our text in Matthew. Now, in Matthew 25, Jesus is in the middle of a string of parables that he's telling to some very, very influential religious people and some very, very influential political people. And he's talking to them and he's saying, listen, there's going to come a time when you're going to meet your maker You're going to stand before God and you need to know this. And this is true for us today. Every person in this room at some time or another is going to reach a point where you're going to meet your maker. You're going to stand before God, whether it's his return or us checking out. We'll all be there. And this parable is one of the things where God said or where Jesus says, here's something you need to know. And that really what we're going to see is that nothing ventured. Nothing gained. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. He says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. See, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put your money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are some key investment lessons to learn, and let's look at the first one. It's the first blank on your outline, and it's this. God gives people. It says, men, this is mankind. Ladies, this is for you too. God gives people differing gifts and amounts to invest. God gives people differing gifts and amounts to invest to when he gave five to one he gave two, to one he gave one. What you will notice in this is the master never says amount. He looks at what did you do with the amount? How faithful were you with what I gave you, with what I blessed you with? Our tendency is to look at the person beside us and see where they have more. Well, they got more money. Well, they have more time. Well, they have more resources. Well, they're smarter. And because they have more, I'll do nothing. The master says, I've put it in your hands. You now be faithful and invest it. Why? Because there's going to be a return on the investment. There's going to be a blessing on what you invest. There's a blessing on investing. We can't be afraid of that. We can't compare. We need to start with what we have. You may feel like you have nothing. You have something. Is there a place where you can invest your time, talent, treasure, and and teaching? Start with what you have. Have you ever heard that person say, man, when I make it rich, when I get the raise, when I get the contract, when I hit the lotto, then I'll be generous? And I always think, no, you won't. If everything you have now is what's in it for me, everything you have then will be what's in it for me. Start with what you have. Make the investment. Why? Because with the investment comes a blessing. And I want you to remember this. Who's the one who gives what we can invest anyway? Who's the one who gives it? Let's try this again. Who's the one who gives what we have to invest? God, it's His anyway. It's not like we lose something, it's all His. We're going to look at that a little more later in the series, but as we make the investment, there's a blessing. That when we invest generously, there's a return generously. That's our second point. The reward of a good investment leads to more investing for more return. We give. There's a generous investment we receive with interest, compound interest. The next year, we receive interest on our interest, plus what we've invested. The next year, we receive interest on our interest on our interest, plus what we've invested and what we've invested. Those of you with the 401k plan, you understand this. Every year that you invest, you get more return. Every year that there's a return, the next year you get money on money you didn't even invest. Where there's a return, the master says, when you're faithful with it, I'll give you more. And it's not so we can sit back and count our money. It's so we can reinvest it and reinvest it and reinvest it. A wise investment comes with a return. Faithfulness leads to reward. Knowing this about investments, here's the thing I would challenge you to. File this away in your mind. When you make an investment, is it a generous investment in a wise place? Do we understand that a wise investment leads to a wise return? Being generous with wisdom is not throwing away our time, talent, treasure, or teaching. Make the investment wisely. Why? Because there's a flip side to this equation. We've seen that with more investment comes more return, but the opposite is also true. This is the third point. With no investment, there is no return. With no investment, there's no return. Verse 27 says, you should put my money on deposit. You should have at least put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Verse 29, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I read one time somebody was writing, and they said the best way to avoid criticism is to do absolutely nothing. But I would add to that, the best way to ensure that there is no generous return is to do absolutely nothing. Where there's no investment, there can be no return. Don't expect to have a a crop where you have not planted. So yesterday I went out, yesterday morning, and I popped off a cucumber from our garden and I popped off a zucchini and got a tomato, took some Swiss chard, got a, I already said cucumber, got an onion out of the ground and I left the kale alone and I went in and I cut up the tomato and I cut up the cucumber and then I washed the Swiss, char, uh, Swiss chard and the onion and threw it in with some eggs and I made this awesome breakfast. Do you know why I had cucumbers and zucchini and Swiss chard and corn coming up and peas? And, do you know why I have that? Because in May... After the snow melted, I put seed in the ground. I have a return because I made an investment. For every cucumber seed I planted, I bet I have three or four cucumbers right now. For every tomato seed I planted, I bet I've got a dozen tomatoes right now. For every zucchini seed I planted, I bet I have 847 zucchini right now. That is a bumper crop return. You cannot expect a return where you have not made an investment. Don't expect finances where you have not invested or worked. Don't expect generous friendships if you have not poured into the relationship generously. Don't expect accomplishment if you have not invested effort. No deposit, no return. So when I was in eighth grade, Ms. Grapsis, my eighth grade social studies teacher, gave us an assignment. The assignment was to watch the stock market for two months. And after that two months, we got $1,000. We didn't get a dime, but on paper, we got $1,000. And her, her deal was, invest your $1,000 in the stocks that you've been watching for the last two months, and let's see who wins the class. I did okay. I did all right. But a friend of mine, his name is Jay, and Jay's dad was in the tech department at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, where I grew up, and Jay found this little startup company, thanks to his dad, called Macintosh Apple. This is in the mid-'80s. He took his entire $1,000 and sunk it into Macintosh Apple. At the end of the year, guess who won the investment race? Jay cleaned up. Guess how much actual money Jay got? Not a dime. Why? Why? Because he wrote about it, he thought about it, he watched it, but there was no actual investment. How many of us have some area of life where we're like, if I just would have, I knew that stock was going to take off if I just would have done that. I knew that job would have paid off if I just would have taken it. If only I would have talked to him or her. If only I would have patented that idea because I thought about that a decade ago. Glow-in-the-dark pacifiers. I knew that would work. (laughs) We look back with regret and it can be so devastating and that's our fourth point. Burying your investment results in looking back with regret. Verse 26 says something that's very clear and we need to realize this. When the master comes back It's not an idea. It is an expectation that there is a return on what he has generously blessed us with. Whether we feel like we have a lot or a little, there is an expectation of a return on what he's entrusted to us. And if there's not a return, there's a problem. If you have invested all of your time into YouTube videos, there's going to be a problem. If you invested everything you've had or been about purely into yourself, there's going to be a problem. As a matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 30. The master says, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, there's two thoughts behind this passage if you you read on it. The first one is this weeping and gnashing of teeth is just a sign of regret, like... Mm, I wish I would have done that, gnashing your teeth like, oh, I blew that one, tear. You know, like it's this idea that we'll just be sad that we didn't do it. I don't think that's what he means here. Because when you read the rest of Matthew, you'll see that six different times Jesus uses this idea of weeping, gnashing of teeth, and being cast out. Six times in Matthew and one time in Luke. And with every one of those, there's an idea, there's a picture, there's a clarity that there's an eternal judgment. And it's not based on we have to work for our salvation. It's this idea that if you're on the team, you'll get on the field. You won't just wear the jersey. You won't just stand outside the stadium or sit in the bleachers out of love and out of abundance of what God has done for us and generously invested in us. We're going to turn around and invest it in others. It's an understood expectation, not to be on the sideline, but to be generous in investing what God has blessed us with. One commentator said that about this parable, he said, Jesus tells us that there can be no religion without adventure. God can find no use for the shut mind and the unwilling heart. Now I want to bring this around full circle back to our wedding. Everything was perfect for the wedding. Everything was in place. They invested in the church. They invested in this musician who sounded like it was playing a recording, just perfect. They invested in the piano. They spent the time making sure everyone was ready. Everybody's hair was right, including mine. Everyone, the pastor was there. I mean, everything was in place. But somehow, in all the busyness, it forgot about the bride. And I want to challenge us that as we look into this series... A time, talent, treasure, and teaching. Let's not forget about the bride. Let's not forget about Christ's bride, his local church. Is there a problem with investing of ourselves, time, talent, treasure, teaching outside of the church? Not at all. I'm going into a new phase of life right now. For the last 25 years, I have had a child under my roof, and starting Tuesday, that ends. It's called Emptiness. Can I get an amen? Yeah. But with that freedom of time, I now look, I'm looking at my life, and especially in light of this series, this was perfect timing for me, because I'm saying, how do I take that time and how do I invest it beyond Spring Lake? This is not only my job, this is my church. I invest of my time here well beyond what my job description calls for. But how do I bless the community? How do I get involved on two of the college campuses here? How do I get involved in being a, uh, being uh, and plugged in within our community. Time, talent, treasure, teaching involved outside of the local church, but not forgetting the bride. Gina and I, since early on in our marriage and to this day, we've tithe, we give 10% of our income to the local church. Not because it's my job, it's because this is my church. We also give offerings to the church above that. But I also help support orphans in two countries. I also help support other ministries outside of this. I invest. I can't forget the bride, and I invest beyond. How do we do that? We're going to talk about that throughout this series. We have a, a big election coming up Tuesday. Some of you are very involved in politics. You're bought in. Invest both outside, but don't forget about the bride. There's a responsibility to the bride, and you're going to through that, see that throughout the series. There's a statement I'm going to give you now, and I'd like you to kind of keep it in the back of your mind, and I'm going to circle back, back to it at the last message in the series, and that's, that's going to be up on the screens now. And this is the statement Every person needs a plan for how they plan to support the local church. Every person needs a plan for how they plan to support time, talent, treasure, teaching, how they plan to support the local church. This is not a guilt-driven message. My goal is not to guilt you into something. My goal is to have you prayerfully consider and plan, you'll see in Scripture, that's how God organizes it, plan for how do I support the local church, how do I invest well. Why is this important? Because we need to support family. And we're church family, we're spiritual family. Eventually, all of us need family, whether it's youth ministries for your students, whether it's kids ministries, whether it's our life groups or our care groups that are starting up with with some of the, the care needs within the church, whether it's counseling or training that we offer for people to grow and continue to become more like Christ and loving, maturing, and reaching, looking more like Jesus in each of these areas. All of us Need a local church. All of us need to have a plan for how we plan to support the local church. Let's dare to be generous. Why? Because Spring Lake Church loves God and Spring Lake Church loves our city. We love Green Bay. Let's look at a way we can do that generously. I honestly believe if we hold to the importance of our message like we say we do, then we'll carry it and we'll live understanding and with with a sense of urgency, with the message of Christ's love, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his forgiveness of our sins, our transgressions, our rebellion against him. It's available and we carry that hope. If you come to church, here's a promise, if you come to church each week going, what's in it for me? I hope I'm entertained this week. I hope I like it this week. I hope I like the people around me this week. Eventually, you will be disappointed. You will leave wanting. You will become bored. And if you are bored in your faith, what I would say is you're doing it wrong. The life of a walk with Christ is an adventurous walk. And if you are here this morning and you say, I am a Christ follower, I am a Christian, I believe in the message, and I'm sold out to Jesus right to my socks, then this message is for us. We're reading a letter that's written to us. You're gonna see this throughout the passages that we look at over the next four weeks. Maybe you're here and you're, you're checking out faith, you're not sure about the Jesus thing, you're looking, what's the church really about? You get to listen in on what God has said to his church about being generous with our lives, with our time, talent, treasure, teaching, with the resources that he's blessed us with. Now, in closing, I want you to know this. I know this will step on some toes because it's stretching every one of us. But here's what I would ask of you. First of all, pray. God, is there an area or are there areas where you're speaking to me? Is there an area or are there areas where you're asking me to step up? I've gotten comfortable. I've gotten lackadaisical. I've held back. I've stuck with what's convenient. Lord, are you challenging me to step out? And if he does, I want to ask you to take the first step. Take the first step. Why? Because when we step out in what I'd call God's glorious adventure, you're going to be excited about how he uses you what he does in you and what he does through you. And when you begin to bless others generously, the promise is, I will make this promise to you, you will be amazed at the generous and glorious blessing you realize that's in your life as well. Pray about it. Be willing to take the first step and see what God just might do in your life and in our church as a whole and through our church in the city. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we thank you that you didn't just create us to take up space. You didn't just create us to waste time from birth until the time that that we die. Lord, you've created us and you've wired us with purpose. You've wired us, Lord God, for something bigger than ourselves. We are not a means to an end. We, Lord God, are a means to point to you as the end. You are Our ultimate purpose. And I pray, Lord, for all of us, and I start with myself, that we listen. And as we hear your voice, as we feel a prompting, that kind of gut thing inside of us that says, this is where you need to step out. May we be obedient, even when it's uncomfortable and it messes with our finances or our time. It calls us to step out of our comfort zone with our skills or in sharing our story. Lord, I pray that we would be available And we would be faithful servants, as we saw in this parable, willing to make the investment and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ's name we pray, amen.